we're good now? Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. May God bless you. One of the, the great questions is whether Jesus Christ is a good man or a God man. And another question is, did Jesus consider himself to be God? I have had conversations with people, and they say, Jesus never claimed to be God. And I thought, man, are, are you reading the same New Testament I am? Have you looked at some of the same verses that I've looked at? So uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, you've probably heard him on the radio, uh, one of his quotes he likes is, one of the great theological debates today is whether Jesus Christ is the God-man or just a good man. And you'll, you'll have people that say, oh, he, he was good. He was a good moral teacher. But again, we need to examine the scriptures. And if uh, our guys uh, are, are ready, I've, I've got a short video that I'd like for us to look at uh, and then uh, continue with the presentation. He was born and he became this like prophet for eventually what would become Christianity. And then at the age of 32, he died on the cross and it's like three days later he was resurrected. I don't really have an opinion on Jesus. I believe that religion was just created to control the masses, really. Jesus is the, our Lord and Savior that died on the cross for us for our sins. Jesus is a... Uh, person that existed that continues to enrich the lives of people every day. Jesus is God's son and he was sent to save our sins. I think he is a pretty cool guy. He had a, a peaceful philosophy. I think he's misinterpreted by a lot of people. He's the savior of this world. I don't know because I don't really believe in him so I don't really think anything of him. Uh, I mean he could have been a real person. I mean I'm sure he was. I mean I'm sure he was just you know good at what he did or something. I kind of feel that Jesus is a modern-day scapegoat. Jesus is God, I think. Yeah, I just learned that. Uh, Jesus was a man, from what I figure. Who is Jesus? He was a dude, lived back in the day. Pretty awesome. He had a beard. He was just kind of a guy with a really unique, positive message as that kind of gave a lot of people a lot of hope. He probably existed, but I don't believe that he was the son of God or anything. He died on the cross for us and uh, to save us and rose again from the dead. I wanted to sound smart, but... <laughs> That's put on by a group that goes to Watermark Community Church here, uh, south of here. I think, I can't prove it, I believe those are uh, UT Dallas students. Uh, that video was made uh, here in Dallas County. So you see the, the wide effect and again, as I was uh, uh, informed earlier today, you all have had an outreach to international students. So not only do we have American students that may have a misconception of God, but we have international students that have probably never heard of Jesus, and we have an opportunity to reach them. Many of you have probably heard of George Barna, and he's t he takes surveys and he gives uh, insights as to the Christian culture. And it's interesting to know how many Americans believe that Jesus is God. Uh, fully, with all Americans, 58% uh, believe that Jesus is God. That's, that's the, the, the whole American population. 48% of millennials, those, those were millennials on the video. Uh, they were born between 1984 and uh, 
uh, 2002, believe, that Jesus is God. Uh, of the Gen Xers, uh, 55%, uh, those are the ones that are born between 65 and 83, they believe that Jesus is God. Uh, I, I don't know, I, I'm a baby boomer. I don't know how many, how many baby boomers are here. Here we go, the baby boomers. All right. 58%, uh, those born between 1946 and 1964, believe that Jesus is God. But it gets even better. Seniors, seniors, 62% of elders, those that are born between, uh, born uh, in 1945 and earlier, believe that Jesus is God. So again, we have our work cut out for us, just barely over half of Americans believe Jesus is God. They may have heard of Jesus, they may think he was a nice man, a good man, or a moral teacher, but again, the, the scriptures, hopefully, uh, uh, as we will see today, and, and hopefully that you believe also, uh, maintain that Jesus is not only a, a good man, he's the God-man. So you may have heard the, the statement, and after seeing a video like that, uh, opinions are like belly buttons, everybody has one. You may have heard a, a different version. I'm not going to use that version in the church. So how reliable is the Bible? You may recall from last time, according to Scripture, apologist uh, Norman Geisler uh, said the New Testament is the most accurate document that we have from the ancient world. And he states specifically, no other ancient book has as many, as early, or as accurate copies of the manuscript. So basically, if we cannot trust uh, the Bible, if we cannot trust the New Testament, uh, we cannot rely on any ancient document uh, from the past because we have the, the best manuscript evidence and we've got the earliest copies, as you recall, hopefully the last time I was here with that presentation. So the text of the Old and New Testament have been preserved, preserved and they're, they're uh, so well throughout the centuries that noteworthy biblical scholars conclude God was not only involved uh, in the writing of the originals, but his hand has been involved in the preservation of these writings throughout every generation. So a good God that reveals himself to us, he's going to make sure that his word is going to be passed along from one generation to another. Uh, the Bible you and I can hold in our hands remains as a highly trustworthy copy of the original writings. And it's composed uh, by the Old Testament men of God, the prophets, and the first century apostles, according to Dr. Norm Geisler. So the Bible offers a profound testimony of what God will do to get his message to human beings in order to invite us into a saving eternal relationship with him. Again, that's demonstrating a loving God that desires to be known and also for his people uh, to know him. So scripture is far more than a history book. And this is from uh, Dr. Darrell Bach. I think many of you know him. As good and trustworthy as that history is, it is a book that calls on us to examine our lives and, and to have a relationship with God. Beyond the fascinating story, it contains vital and life-transforming truths about God and us. It is worth reading, studying, and pondering for reasons that extend far beyond the history it so faithfully records. 2,000 years ago, at a crossroads in time and culture, a Jewish boy was born in Roman Palestine to a woman who was reportedly a virgin. As amazing a start as that was, the boy's story only increased in wonderment as he grew older. He wowed his elders at an early age 
he turned water into wine as a young man. And shortly thereafter, there were reports of healings, exorcisms, and mastery over nature. People flocked to him out of love, hatred, and simple curiosity because his teachings were both inspirational and controversial. Before long, the whole nation of Israel was ignited in a firestorm over his claims to divinity. Divinity is a fifty uh, or a five-dollar word for God. Jesus claimed to be God. Modern people commonly doubt or even deny that Jesus claimed to be God. Their image of Jesus is one of a great moral sage who went around teaching people to love one another and to get along. Far from drawing attention to himself, they suppose he meant only to spread love for humanity through the acts of service and sacrifice. Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, and atheists often argue that Jesus never claimed to be God. Again, I question whether they've ever read the New Testament. They assert that Christians have corrupted or misinterpreted the New Testament or they reject the Bible outright. Do the scriptures present Jesus as making any claims of being God? Did Jesus make any claims about being God? Let's do kind of a, an overview and look at some of the passages of Scripture. Jesus proclaimed his, his deity on many occasions while living among his fellow citizens in Israel. He left no doubt in his listeners' minds that he was claiming to be God. Let's look at some of, the, of Jesus' statements from the New Testament. First of all, Matthew eleven twenty seven. And uh, David mentioned uh, uh, Bible translations. This, these verses are from the New American Standard Bible. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. This is Jesus speaking. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Notice in this text, all things means all things, everything. And also, hadn't it go over, these things have been given to Jesus. So we're stewards in many ways, but again, Jesus is sovereign over all things. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So all authority, it's another word for absolute power. Jesus is the most powerful person in, in the universe. We, we may look at, at presidents or dictators and think, boy, they're powerful people. But again, all, all power has been given to Jesus. And again, this has been granted to him. So, so there's, there's unity in the Godhead with God the Father, uh, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. But again, as God, Jesus is all-powerful. No being but God could wield such power. So again, Jesus is claiming, and he's going to be, uh, do it in a more direct way, he's claiming to be God. And again, anyone that doubts that, in my mind, has not read the New Testament, or if they've read the New Testament, they haven't understood it. John 8.51, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. To keep 
uh, Jesus' word is basically uh, to respond to his word by believing in him. It's called obedience. And also, uh, he's talking not about physical death because we, we've probably all known someone that's died physically. He's talking about spiritual death. So if anyone keeps Jesus' word, believes in him, he will never see death. And again, that's talking about spiritual death. So spiritual death involves being eternally separated from God. Uh, physical death is separation from the inner man or inner, inner, inner person uh, from the physical body. So spiritual death, again, is separation of the inner person from God forever. And that's, uh, that's the fate of those that do not have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. So only God would have the capability of making and fulfilling such a promise. And that's the promise that Jesus has made. In John 8:58, Jesus said, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And again, that's a profound statement. He's saying, before Abraham was born, and Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation who lived 2,000 years before that. He's saying, I existed before Abraham. So I am, again, is, is a, a, a word phrase that he's talking about. I existed not only as a person, not only as a human, but I existed as God. And again, Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, lived over 2,000 years before Jesus made this statement, Before uh, 2,000 years before Jesus' incarnation, before Jesus took on flesh. He's always existed as God, but he took on flesh and came down and dwelt among his people. So Jesus employs the same words for himself that God used with Moses when he interacted with Moses personally, his very name, to identify himself as he did in Exodus 3.14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. Again, the, the God of the universe, another word for I am is the self-existing one. So that's what Jesus is saying. I am God. I am the self-existing one. Not only did I come to earth to reveal the Father to you and to die on the cross, but I am the eternal God. So Jesus is very plainly uh, claiming this and revealing this uh, to the people that he interacted with. John 10.30 I and the Father are one. Again, this is Jesus' statement. I and the Father are one. One, again, uh, we believe in the Godhead. We believe that there's uh, uh, three persons in the Godhead, and they have unity in their purpose or their will. Again, uh, we believe in the unity of the Godhead. So Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, is fully equal to the Father. God the Father is God, Jesus Christ is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. In John 14, 9, Jesus said, Have I been so long with you, and, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Philip said, Show us the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Jesus is living out what he expressed in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. They're the same. Jesus was often threatened with death because of his claims of being God, of his claims to deity. Why did the Jewish leaders want 
to kill Jesus? What was their, their main uh, criticism with Jesus? Blasphemy. Literally, blasphemy means to speak harm. And in the biblical context, blasphemy is an attitude of disrespect that finds expression in an act directed against the character of God. Blasphemy is pro profane or com contemptuous speech or writing about our action toward God. The Old Testament pr law prescribed death by stoning for blasphemy, according to the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Note these very words from God to Moses. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the alien as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. That's from Le Leviticus 24, verses 15 and 16. So the Jews were monotheists. They believed in one God. They took blasphemy very seriously. And claiming to be God was just not a small blasphemy. It was the highest blasphemy. They accused Jesus of blasphemy on several occasions. God alone can forgive sins. We realize that. We acknowledge that. But you know what? Jesus claimed that he could forgive sins. So what is Jesus doing in effect? He's claiming to be God. Matthew 2, 6 through 8 says, But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit, see Jesus is also a mind reader too. That's a, that's a characteristic of God. Aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? And some of the scribes said to themselves, said to themselves this fellow blasphemes. Again, blasphemes is to injure the reputation of God, to revile or to defame him. Luke 5, 20-22. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? John 8, 58-59. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. Again, his audience knew what Jesus was claiming. They were very clear that he was claiming to be God. And again, the consequences of that was stoning, uh, since uh, they considered it blasphemous uh, with Jesus making such statements. Again, John 10, 30 and 31, I and the Father are one. Jesus is claiming to be God. Again, the Jews are monotheists. They believe in one God. So the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. John 10, 33, the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, 
being a man, make yourself out to be God. The next three slides detail Jesus affirming he is God by applying words to himself from Psalm 110.1 and Daniel 7.13 as he's being tried before the high priest and the Sanhedrin, the council of the elders. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish uh, nation's official judicial body. The council of the elders could give a guilty verdict, but since the Jews were under Roman occupation, they were unable to impose and carry out the death penalty. Jesus' prophetic words inform us of his resurrection, return to heaven, and return to earth with God's authority to establish a worldwide kingdom, according to Dr. Uh, Thomas Constable. Matthew 26, 64 to 66, Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself, nevertheless I tell you, thou after, uh, thereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed! What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. Mark 14, 61 to 64. But Jesus kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Luke 22, 67 through 71. If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. He's using the same words uh, that God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus. And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then he said, What further need do we have of, of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. The Sanhedrin recognized Jesus' statement to be an unequivocal, unequivocal claim to be the Son of God. This was a claim to be God. Consequently, it appeared to them to be blasphemous. They now had sufficient grounds to demand the death sentence from Pilate. Jesus was tried and convicted of blasphemy by the high priest, which is why they asked Pilate to crucify him. Note their cunning hypocrisy. This is from Luke 23, 1-2. Then the whole body of them got up, and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. The Romans would not have crucified Christ over blasphemy. That, that again was the, the Jewish uh, offense. But again, they made up these trump charges against Jesus in order for... Uh, Pilate to crucify him. Basically they were saying Jesus is, is treasonous. Jesus is a traitor. 
that's, that's, that's the, the cunning hypocrisy they used to get the Romans to crucify Christ. Going from the Gospel to the book of Revelation, we find the rest of the story. Any of you, any of you remember Paul Harvey, the rest of the story? Uh, from the New Testament. In Revelation 22, 12 and 13, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to re render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Some of you probably have studied Greek or uh, looked at these words before. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet and signify uh, here that Jesus is, is really saying he has comprehensive control over all things, including time. That's hard for us to understand. We're, we're in the midst of time, but God is outside of time and space. Uh, if you ever figure that out, let me know because I'm still struggling with that. A man, and this is a C.S. Lewis quote you, you probably heard before, a man who, uh, excuse me, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In response to Jesus' teachings, many people took him at his word and thus followed him by faith. But many others rejected his claims and took him to be a blasphemer. Neither result that some worshipped him while others branded him a blasphemer worthy of death makes sense unless Jesus did in fact claim to be God, the Son, as the New Testament reveals time and time again. Lee Strobel in the case of the real Jesus says, The one Jesus that skeptics refuse to tolerate is a uniquely divine, miraculous, prophecy-fulfilling, and resurrected Jesus, even if the evidence points persuasively in that direction. After all, that would put him in the place of being beholden to him. Their personal sovereignty and moral independence would be at risk. The problem is, that's the real, real Jesus. I think you're going to find that in evangelism. Uh, some people will hear the truth, they will understand the truth, but they also understand the truth will involve their lives being changed. And so they, uh, a lot of times they reject the gospel uh, not, not on a, a truthful basis, but really on a, on a moral basis. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. Those who choose not to accept the claims of Jesus react in rock-hurling rage at the suggestion that Jesus is God. Conversely, those who know him personally and see him for who he is react with undivided devotion and praise to the man who is God. Everything of lasting importance hangs on the balance. And I'd like to change that, this quote instead of what we think to what you think and what I think. Everything of lasting importance hangs on the balance of what you and I think of Jesus 
and how you and I respond to his teachings. Your fate rests in Christ's hands. My fate rests in Christ's hands. According to Dr. Daryl Bach, Jesus is more than a teacher, more than a prophet, and more than a Messiah. He is the uniquely authoritative revelator of God. He is the unique Son of God. The only Jesus we have is the one whose life is recorded in the inspired pages of the New Testament. That's a quote from Dr. David Jeremiah. So who is Jesus to you? Is he a deceiver? Is he a lunatic? Is he a legend of history? That's, that's popular especially among the college students today. They believe Jesus existed, but they, they believe he's a legend, that the story started out small and it's been added to just like the story of, of Paul Bunyan. They're, they're seeing Jesus as a legend. Or is Jesus your Savior and Lord? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's an exclusive statement. But again, if Jesus is God, we've got to believe what he said is true. He backed it up. What do they say in Texas? It ain't, it ain't bragging. If you can, if you can uh, what, what is the phrase? It, pardon? There it is. It ain't bragging if you can do it. So again, Jesus backs it up. Jesus has the credibility of what he's saying. Uh, this presentation is, is somewhat of a, an overview. Uh, again, I'm not here to, to plug my book, but I, I, I spent two and a half years writing a book on the unique one. So if you'd like to get more details on the, the life of Jesus, uh, I encourage you to uh, get this book and, and, and uh, give it to missionaries and other people because it's basically a defense of Jesus' identity. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for, your, for revealing yourself to us. And we're living in troubling times. I believe we could very well be the generation here in America that will experience persecution. I pray we will stand strong, that we would def defend the faith, that we'd be able to give an answer to those that question the gospel. And I ask your blessing on this church, especially with their outreach to college and international students. These are the, the future leaders of the world. And I do pray that they would share the gospel and that these people from other nations would respond to the gospel, take the gospel to their people. But also in our, in our country, I ask that you would not give up on America, that you would bring revival, allow us to turn back to you and to be good stewards of what you've entrusted us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.